Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, honeys. Hello. Welcome to Natch Butte. I have to warn you that the next three months of Natch Butte are going to be a little bit different than you're used to. So if you happen to be a new listener, hello and welcome. I am Jackie J, the host of Natch Butte. If you're an older listener, hello, thank you for returning. Please get excited. I am officially on maternity leave. I'm having a baby. And while I am having this baby, getting to know it, nursing it, etc., I've decided to take a little break from Natch Butte. Now, Natch Butte isn't going anywhere, sweetie. What's going to happen while I'm gone is I'm having some of my past guests slash dearest friends fill in for me as the host. And each of them was told, you can interview whoever you want. Some of them are going to be doing characters. Some of them are going to be doing more editorial style interviews. You don't know what you're going to get. And that's why it's extremely festive and fun. So who's coming up? Honey, I don't know. I'm going to throw this intro on the front of a lot of the apps, so I don't know who you're about to hear. You're going to have to read the title or listen and find out, but whoever it is is somebody fantastic. I'm so grateful to my dear friends for filling in for me. It's going to be fun and exciting, and thank you for still listening while I'm gone and supporting Natchview. I will be back, hopefully, in September, sweetie. I'm going to take June, July, and August off. Maybe I'll be back a little sooner. Maybe I'll be back a little later. That's going to depend on a lot of things. My uterus, how it's uh, going down, how I'm feeling, child care, all factors. But I really appreciate the support, and I hope you enjoy the excitement that is about to happen with all of the fill-in hosts of Natchibute. As much as I'm excited, sweetie, so thanks for being here, and please enjoy the next three months of exciting Natch Butte. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Natch Butte, the beauty comedy podcast where we laugh, we cry, we cream. I am your guest host and guide today, Elizabeth Cott. I'm filling in for the beauty talk shock jock, Jackie J. We miss her already. Okay, so fun fact, I came up with the moniker beauty talk shock jock back a number of years ago when I was on Jackie's show. So I feel really proud about that. That is a feather in my cap. So I asked Jackie if she could please give me a description because I hate describing myself. So here's what she came back with. Let's see what we think. She says, I should say I'm former mayor of retrograde land, mother of poodle, hi Midas, a wise woman on all things wellness, your entrepreneurial queen, Elizabeth Cott. Did we like that? Did that give some insight? Thank you, Jackie. That seemed very nice. Okay, so 
Yes, uh, you guys might know me from the wellness podcast, That's So Retrograde. We had a great run, about almost seven years of doing that show. We closed it out the end of September, and um, this is my first time back hosting since then, so I am so thrilled to be here. I'm incredibly excited to be talking to today's guest, Jessica DeFino, who... um, when I really started deep diving into her work, I thought to myself, and this was the one and only time that I really had this like pain. I was like, damn it, I wish I still had that so retrograde so I could interview Jessica. And then lo and behold, Jackie reached out to me, asked me if I could come sit in for an episode while she's on maternity leave. So this convo is written in the stars. I'll introduce Jessica with this. The Huff Post said, that her newsletter, The Unpublishable, is a big middle finger to the entire beauty industry. She is a journalist and beauty industry critique, and I am critique critic, a critique. I'm so excited to have her join us. So welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you so much. I love that intro. I love that quote. It's like a a life-defining quote for me. (laughs) Yes. And so before we get into your message, your POV, all of which I just find to be so eye-opening, mind-opening, and important for us as listeners of Natch Butte who love the beauty industry, all of it. And that's why what you talk about resonates so much, but we'll get into all of that in a second. But first, we'll start out with Jackie's traditional icebreakers. What type of skin do you have, Jessica? Well, I don't believe in skin types, so I will just say I have human skin, just like everyone else. Great, great answer. Um, the Do you remember the first beauty product you ever used? I think it had to have been St. Ives Apricot Scrub or Cetaphil. Oh, like skin like killer. Yes, yes. Those thick, the thick granules. <laughs> so oh bad. my gosh. I, I think mine, just since I'm just I'll just throw mine in here. My cousin was a Mary Kay rep and <gasps> gave me a box of little tiny like samples. I shat those little pieces of paper with an eyeshadow strip on it or those <laughs> little dots of lipstick. And I yes. I remember watching Lisa Turtle do her makeup on Save by the Bell and tried to emulate the look. It was How a mess. For you? <laughs> um and then since this is Natch Butte. And I love this question so much. And we celebrate natural beauty here. What is the most beautiful thing about you? This is a really tough one because I've tried so hard to detach from like needing to feel beautiful or think anything is beautiful about me. But I guess I would say like my, um, my capacity to like tell the truth and not care like who it upsets. Ooh. In like a gentle way, in a gentle and loving way. That is beautiful. <laughs> Natch Butte. It's Natch Butte. <laughs> um, okay. So, as I touched on beforehand, I see you as this just fierce and necessary voice in the beauty industry. And you and I met um, a number of years ago. I'm friends with your cousin which I think is how we initially connected. You wrote an article on my previous podcast, That's a Retrograde, back in the day. And then came across 
my radar again when I saw a tweet of yours go viral uh, right around the time where the now infamous get off your fucking ass and work, <laughs> no toxic work environment statement came from a Miss Kimberly Noel Kardashian. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, I'm seeing your face in New York Post. And I'm saying to myself, oh my gosh, is this the same Jessica that I spoke to a number of years ago? Sure was. And then I clicked around a bit and found myself over to your Substack, the unpunish- unpublishable. I'm sorry. I, I want to say unpunishable because <laughs> it kind of brings Either? up that tone yeah. <laughs> to me. But it's the unpublishable. Mm-hmm. So give us a little backstory, as I know that you worked for the Kardashian apps. And let's, let's start there. Sure. I mean, like, like you, I think I have always sort of been obsessed with beauty and fashion and aesthetic and sort of like cultivating this look and this character. And in my like mid twenties, I was living in LA and I got the opportunity to work for the Kardashian Jenner apps before they had launched. So I was part of like the small five person launch team to, you know, create these apps and write the content and sort of ended up being like a, a ghostwriter, mostly for Chloe's app and Kendall's app, but like worked across all of the sisters apps for a time. It was, it was through Whale Rock Industries, which is like a third party media company. But yeah, so I, I like to say I was like fake internet Chloe for a time. Um, and it was super fun. It was like a dream job in terms of what I was doing and it felt like very prestigious and I felt like, oh my God, I'm, I'm going places like this is the stepping stone for me. And yeah, it ended up being like a pretty toxic work environment. And I also sort of got this behind the scenes look at how beauty standards are manufactured and how they're complete bullshit and how they are sort of created and co-opted to sell people ideals that are impossible to achieve physically, like even for the Kardashians. Um, And then that need that is instilled is co-opted to sell people products and create more wealth for sort of this, this ruling class that decides what beauty is. Um, And it was really, um, it was really upsetting. It really got in my head. Uh, I developed like a stress related skin condition while I was there And like, it got to the point where like, I couldn't wear makeup. I couldn't use skincare. My face was like peeling off in chunks. So there was like that part of it. At the same time, I was getting all of this like really intense input about beauty as your worth and your value in society and how you needed to look and what you needed to do to, to, to get there. And it was just sort of like this defining moment in my life and then my career after that, because I decided like, no, I want to, <laughs> I want to do something about this because it's just right. not to healthy. counteract. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting because I hear so many parallels in your story. I started off my career in, when I was 23, I was hired by Rachel Zoe to start the Zoe Report. And so I was her internet voice running her social media and that sort of thing. And I think there was a certain body standard pressure, not imposed by her, but I think being young and working in the fashion industry. And I had the same, I felt the same pressures when I was at Michigan State University. So I'm not saying that 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 work culture, but it didn't 
help. It didn't heal, oh. didn't do any of that. It it definitely was interesting to be the epicenter of somebody's voice and their messaging and see the the inner workings of that. So I, I really relate. And then you and I have, have bonded over this before, but I too suffer. And I've talked about this on Jackie's show two times as I like to be the the face of a a voice in the, a voice to the voiceless of those suffering from dermatitis (laughs) on their face. (laughs) And it's brutal. It's really bad. Yeah. And, um, so I just want to say thank you for speaking to both of those things and almost Mm -hmm. thank goodness you had this eye into the industry so you can now speak to it. Yes. And, um, so then I assuming that experience then brought you into the unpublishable. Yes. So like, I guess right after the apps, I sort of decided I wanted to pivot more into like reporting to be in the beauty industry and sort of, because I had, I had learned all of this stuff about my skin in, in the journey to heal it without products because my skin couldn't handle products. And I like, found all of these studies and all this literature about how the skin actually works and how it doesn't actually need products. And so many of our problems stem from overstimulating the skin with too much stuff. Um, And I was able to pretty much heal my skin without the use of external products through like, you know, a few lifestyle changes, mindfulness, some like diet changes, which weren't even about restricting, but just about like eating more nuts and seeds to get the omegas that build your skin barrier. Like it's about adding more of what your skin actually needs. And I was like, this is fascinating. How come nobody's talking about this? Like I must join the beauty industry and like spread the good word. Um, And then quickly after starting to report I realized like why this information isn't necessarily out there. And it's because it sort of goes against um, everything that like advertisers would like you to believe and brands would like you to believe. And that is what powers the beauty media financially. That's right. Yeah. It's just, it's really hard to get like truthful, non-product focused information out there. Yes. I focused more on trying to get into all of these like top tier publications for a long time, like Allure and Vogue and New York Times. And um, still it was really hard to write about the things that I wanted to write about. And so I started the the unpublishable, I called it because I couldn't get these stories published anywhere. Such a great name. That's kind of my focus. When I finally got in, was able to, to turn around my eye dermatitis, which for 17 months just was, it felt like I had bug bites on my eyes. It was just itching and stinging all the damn time. And the thing that sort of started the healing process was what my germ called a a product cleanse. And I used Vanna cream cleanser, Mm -hmm. which like any dermatologist will suggest for a, a gentle cleansing situation and then no other products. And then I had to dabble in a topical steroid and all of that. But I just think the, the less is more conversation. It's not sexy for us as, um, you know, lurkers on Instagram, TikTok, all those things. Like it looks so luxurious and fun to layer on seven products, but it just doesn't has, I just found that that absolutely did not work for me. Yeah. It doesn't work for a lot of people. And I think, um, I think part of the reason it is so hard to talk about it and get that information taken seriously is because a lot of the like 
actual science and research and literature that we have about the skin now is really new. So it's still making its way in there. Like for instance, the science of the skin microbiome, maybe about a decade old, but most of it is like five years, two years, three years. And it hasn't like hit dermatologists yet. It hasn't hit the mainstream beauty industry yet. And what we're learning from studying the microbiome is that you have this like robust ecosystem, like living on you and every product that you put on, even water, like even like splashing your face with water, um, affects that ecosystem to a certain extent. So like we tend to think of putting on more and more products as like layering on more and more goodness, but we're actually depleting our skin with each ingredient that we put on it and depleting that microbiome and making it harder for the skin to like achieve homeostasis on its own. Right. And it might look glowy and dewy at the, (laughs) at the (laughs) jump, but ultimately it might be stripping. We love a solution, like just humans in general. We love to see something work immediately. And we take like the immediate effect as gospel like, oh, I look so glowy because I just slathered like petroleum jelly on my face. But like, is is that the long-term <laughs> effect of that product? We don't know, you know? So it's, we've got to go further. Absolutely. And, you know, there's something so incredible, a quote of yours that I love so much that really sparked a lot of thought and a lot of questioning and a little bit of shame, a a lot of stuff. You say skincare culture is just dewy diet culture. Yes. Yes. There are so many parallels between diet culture and between skincare culture. Um, And I think both basically are just this attempt at controlling something that is ultimately uncontrollable and a force of nature and trying to get it to submit to society's aesthetic ideals to society's beauty standards. And for so long, what we see with diet culture is like this ideal just being like thin, um, was messaged as health in, in such a way that it really has harmed a lot of people. Like now research is coming out that like BMI is not actually a marker of health. And like these diets actually aren't helping anybody get healthier. They're helping people get smaller temporarily, which is not health. It's actually causing a lot of problems. And it's sort of the same with skincare, not even sort of the same. It's completely the same with skincare. Mm -hmm. We've been handed down the set of aesthetic ideals that says you should look poreless, um, glowy, and forever young. And that means that your skin is healthy. And those things actually have nothing to do with health. And they have everything to do with like consumerist, capitalist, patriarchal aesthetic ideals that have been passed down for like literally millennia. Yeah. Wow. And then, (laughs) then I start in my own head to pick apart, you know, oh, I, I just like my skin to look glowy. Like that's what I prefer. And it's like, well, why is that the preference? Exactly. That is the question. Um, there's this amazing sociologist, Tressie McMillan Cotton. I don't know if you've ever read her work, but I would highly recommend it. She has a book called Thick, um, that, I just I've heard of my thinking on it, but she says, I like what I like is always a capitalist lie. And I think that's so powerful because like, of course, something affects why you like what you like. And that input can be healthy or that input can be very unhealthy. And with a lot of beauty culture, the input is unhealthy and it makes us like certain things because society has been set up to reward us when we participate in these systems, you know, like we do get better treatment, but is that a good thing? 
you, you know? It, I mean, it is a whole journey of thought and and dismantling that needs mm-hmm. to really be looked at. And, you know, it makes me think of, a, I was in a gender studies class my freshman year of college and somebody, I had made a comment of something and they said, well, you're not a feminist, you're in heels. And I was so offended. <laughs> and I was like, how could someone say that to me? I can love fashion and be in heels. Like, and then, but now as I looked to, like, I fully understand that. I don't think that that mm-hmm. statement was, neither wrong or right, but I understood it. I understand it now at 37 years old. I see what that person was saying at the time. I was like, how dare you? I mean, so much of that comes down to like this, this sort of choice feminism that has been the mainstream type of feminism for quite a while now, which is just this idea that like, because I'm a woman and I deserve the right to, to like choose the life I want. Anything that I choose to do is a feminist choice, um, which is, I think, very misguided. It's a very tempting idea of feminism because it means you can do anything you want and you're a feminist. But that's not actually like the, the thing. I always like to say with beauty practices, because people ask me all the time, like, is, is participating in this feminist? Can I be a feminist and like put on lipstick, blah, blah, blah. Um, if we swap the word feminist for collective liberation, which is what feminism is, we can see that like really none of our beauty choices or fashion choices that sort of align with what the mainstream expects from us um, can really ever be truly feminist or liberating because they are reinforcing this like very old patriarchal paradigm. But that's not necessarily to say you shouldn't do anything. Like not every action you take in your life has to be like a feminist battle cry. Absolutely. And that's, that's to pretend that like lipstick is feminist. Like it, it's not, but that's okay. And that's okay. <laughs> and that's why I think, you know, it's such an important conversation to have just to reiterate what I said earlier is that I love the beauty industry. I, I love a product. I, you know, and as fans, it's important to have these conversations or be opened up to these conversations so that we can just have a full scope Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, go ahead. Just like I, a lot of my work can come off as like negative and very critical all the time, but I like to say and like make it clear that it all comes from this place of just like love and wanting us to be like free and wanting everyone to be able to connect with what like actual beauty is. Mm-hmm. Like I think the reason the beauty industry has such a hold on us is because beauty is like freedom. It's like truth and love. Like it's an innate human longing. And it's not wrong to want to embody beauty. What is wrong is that we've been fed this definition of beauty that is not actually beauty. It's sales. That's right. And really to have an understanding of that and, you know, to go back to my fascination with fashion magazines in the 90s and how one gets placement in there is through ad sales. So, you know, it's just, it's a, you really have to dissect the root of mm-hmm. everything in order to have, I think, a grounded perspective. Yeah. Yeah. It, that's, that's a great way to put it. Oh, yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Oh, yeah. I want to hear from you, like, your definition of beauty culture and really its roots and like how you see that manifested it in today's society. Sure. Um, so for like easy reference, I always say beauty culture is like diet culture's face focused fraternal twin. So you can really take a lot of what you know about diet culture and just like swap the word beauty in there. And a lot of it will align. That's right. <laughs> it's basically like a system of beliefs that defines beauty as the adherence to current societal beauty standards those standards are largely shaped by patriarchy, white supremacy, colonialism, and capitalism. Um, and beauty culture like falsely equates beauty with health and wellness, um, worth, and even moral goodness. Like even things like good skin and bad skin that really capitalizes on our, our human need to like want to feel like we're good people and we've embodied goodness. Um, and and beauty culture is sort of all about that. Um, and then it sort of positions trying to achieve this ideal of beauty, which like, again, is impossible as like a very noble pursuit of self-betterment or self-care or empowerment. Um, And it positions like normal human features as flaws that need to be fixed. And so that instills a lot of shame and it sells you the solution conveniently packaged in this, you know, uh, post-consumer recycled bottle. (laughs) Right. So yeah, that's, that's sort of like a brief overview. So I'm curious, we hear what you, your statement that you just said, mm-hmm. how it's rooted in the patriarchy, rooted in white supremacy, rooted in colonialism. And we go, oh my God, yeah. <laughs> what do we, like, what is your advice for, because they're not going to, I'm still going to go to my cosmetic derm, right? right? Like I, I'm not there yet. I'm not going to just stop. And you shouldn't. And I, okay. yeah, I don't want anyone to just stop. I think... I think maybe the best way to sort of frame it is once you have your mind open to some of these issues is reframing a lot of our beauty behaviors as coping mechanisms. Like beauty culture, like diet culture is very traumatic. Like it's traumatic to grow up and be told like almost immediately from birth that your worth in society is determined by what you look like and what you look like isn't good enough and it will never be good enough. And you're going to have to constantly be buying products and going to the cosmetic dermatologist and getting procedures and getting surgeries. Like I think that's sort of like a spiritually traumatic thing. And so we adopt a lot of these behaviors as coping mechanisms and coping mechanisms are good and they can be healthy as long as we know what they are and we know why we're doing them. Um, And like conversely, it's very unhealthy to take all of your coping mechanisms away all at once and just be like, I'm just going to you know, raw dog it and right. like feel this pain of uh, the patriarchy coming down on me. So it's not necessarily about just giving everything up. It's just about just like thinking about it, reconsidering your decisions. Like I sort of like to call it being like the eternal toddler and just keep asking why I want to buy this product that I just saw on Instagram. Why? Um, because I follow this influencer and I think she's really beautiful. Why? Um, because she's thin and she's blonde. Why do I think that's beautiful? And you can keep tracing it back and tracing it back. And like, 
I guarantee you nine times out of 10, you will realize that like the thing that you find beautiful that you want to embody is coming from like a really toxic ancient place that doesn't have the best interests of you and like your soul and your mind and your body in, in mind. No (laughs) lies detected over there. Just yes. Yes. To everything you just said. Okay. So there was an article over on your Substack that I really appreciated that it was something that I had been thinking about a lot. And that is the, we're calling it the perceived vibe shift within beauty. So Mm -hmm. the, you know, a lot of it's been really promising. The the diversity of shades available now is now commonplace. Whereas even five years ago, that was like a very unique offering for a brand to provide or, Mm -hmm. you know, free the pimple stuff with like, you know, the little cute stickers on the skin or really a wonderful diversification of different body types and all of that, that we're seeing in advertisements and branding. So different representations of beauty. So mm-hmm. I, I see that and it feels positive sort of on a surface level. Yes. And I want to kind of go deeper on that because something I that mm-hmm. I'm super into and that I sort of am fascinated by is like the Lori Hills of the world and like the real self app. And so Lori Hill has her YouTube channel where she basically gives an assessment of the cosmetic procedures that she thinks that various celebrities have had. Mm -hmm. And the point of that is to normalize the conversation around plastic surgery and also make people not feel like shit for comparing themselves to a celebrity and their perceived quote unquote perfection. So Mm -hmm. I'm asking you, because I've noticed a vibe shift in this conversation around procedures. Yeah. Good thing or bad thing? Um, I think it's a fairly neutral thing. I think, you know, great to talk about it. Of course there should be transparency. Like nobody should be undergoing procedures and like influencing cultural beauty ideals and then like not being transparent about that because you're affecting millions, if not billions of people with what you choose to do when you are in the spotlight. Um, but also it's like, we all kind of know, like if someone's getting shit done, you know, you can see it. It's not like this huge, uh, life altering thing for somebody to admit to it. Cause it's like, well, we saw you had a smaller nose. Like we <laughs> saw that your forehead is suddenly like very shiny and tight. Like it's not this groundbreaking thing. Like I think what would be more, um, beneficial is again, like instead of this vibe shift of like hiding cosmetic procedures versus talking about cosmetic procedures, we need like an entire paradigm shift and we have to step outside of it and be like, I want transparency around the emotional reason you chose to undergo that cosmetic procedure because I do it for me is not the truth. Like I don't, I don't care. You actually don't do it for you. It might make you feel good, but again, why does it make you feel good? Because of beauty culture. And like, you can't chalk that up to, I do it for me, or this is my self care. Um, So like the transparency that I think we need is like emotional transparency, which requires like emotional, um, just like intelligence and awareness, which I think a lot of people are very resistant to, especially in that like high profile space. Yes. Wow. I got like goosebumps from what you said. I just think that, yeah, I really feel everything you said. Yes. 
Mm-hmm. And I and think that's such a great way to look at it. I don't ever want to come off as like super judgmental. And so when these conversations come up, I do try to like put myself in there too. Like I have pretty much deconditioned from a lot of beauty shit and I don't do much myself. One thing I do do is I get eyebrow microblading and people are always like, oh my God, you like say all of this shit and you like preach about beauty culture, but you still get your eyebrows tattooed. Yes. So my thing is I have trichotillomania, which is a hair pulling disorder. It's like a mental illness. So I pull out my eyebrows and seeing my eyebrows like gone is a trigger for me. Mm -hmm. So getting microblading done is like a true emotional coping mechanism for me. That is like unsafe for me to take away at this moment because it will harm my physical health and my emotional health. And everyone will have a different line to walk. So if like you need Botox as an emotional coping mechanism, like that's fine for a while. I would hope you would work through it and like find some other ways to cope. But if you can be transparent about like the emotional need behind that thing, it's not necessarily like I'm saying nobody should ever do anything ever again. But like that emotional transparency is so important to ourselves and to like the people around us who are influenced by our actions. I so appreciate that perspective because I think the last thing I I would want for this conversation to do is to shame people for, I I myself, I do Botox. I do a, I dabble in some filler. You know, mm-hmm. I love, like I said, I love a product. I, you know, I, you know, I sound like a broken record, but I am a consumer in the industry. And I imagine our dear audience of the Natch <laughs> Butte universe, of course, they are interested in this stuff. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I just love how you're shining a different perspective and an important perspective on on this world because it really bleeds into everything that we do. And, you know, I know we both shared about our skin stuff. Like the effect that that had on my Mm self-esteem was treacherous. I also had an insane bout of acne in my early 30s that – had me hiding. And, you know, I had a one of my best friend's wedding from, from high school in New York City that I was contemplating like an exit plan from because mm-hmm. I just was so embarrassed and mm-hmm. ashamed that I had bumpy skin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what? I went through the same thing where I basically just checked out of my life completely, like canceled plans with friends, didn't go to parties, stopped dating. I was just like, I can't be seen. I can't be in public. And that was like, um, it was a huge wake up call for me because it was like, wow, I've actually based so much of my self-worth around what I look like. And like, who am I without that? Like if I have nothing left, if my face doesn't like look the way I want it to look like, whoa, like I need to figure some shit out because that's really fragile place to be in. Um, and that also is why I am so passionate about this work, um, is because beauty is so often positioned to us as like this form of empowerment, this form of like self-worth and self-care, but like the data tells a very different story. So beauty culture actually contributes to anxiety, depression, disordered eating, um, body dysmorphia, self-harm, um, even suicide. And like that, that's super serious. That's, that's really serious to me. And it really just, um, like turns my stomach to see beauty and these ideals 
pushed on us as this form of empowerment and confidence to make us feel better when the exact opposite is actually happening when you look at the data. Um, and it's just, it's so harmful. It can be so harmful. And like our stories are not anything unique. Like that's right. people and especially women and especially like trans people and, and non-binary folks, like anyone who feels this pressure to like conform to like a very gendered beauty ideal, um, that like appearance anxiety is a very normal thing and it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be a part of our lives. It just really shouldn't. And that's, that's why I get so worked up about it. Yeah. And I think it made so much more with a spotlight on it now because we all are on our phones and communicating through screens and seeing ourselves and projecting ourselves. And it's just reaching a fever pitch. Yeah, I think like the more that our existence is virtual and digital, we're getting like all of our input of what other people look like is through this shiny screen. Like my little conspiracy theory is like that's where glass skin came from is because we're literally seeing people like through a screen, like almost exclusively. And, and a ring light. And a ring light. That really helps for the glass skin aesthetic, I will say. Tune, yes, and Photoshop, and like we're all the input we're getting is like not from the physical world. And if the only sort of like physical idea that you get of what human skin looks like is yours when you're looking in the mirror and it doesn't measure up to everything else you've been seeing, like that's devastating. And it puts like this really immense pressure on you to try to make your physical face that you're actually seeing in person match up to these like pixelated faces that are not real. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, yeah. So what have you done personally to untwist from the claws of beauty culture? <laughs> the, the biggest thing for me was just going completely product-free. Um, I did it primarily for my skin health just because my skin couldn't handle anything and my dermatitis was really bad. Um, and then after like two weeks, issues that I had been struggling with for my whole life just started to clear up on their own. Like my skin started re-regulating. Like the skin has built-in mechanisms to like self-cleanse, self-moisturize, self-exfoliate, self-heal, self-protect. Um, and when they were undisturbed, when I sort of let them re-regulate, my skin took care of everything for me. And I saw like healing, more healing in that two week period than I had seen in my entire life beforehand. So it was like a huge wake up call that the products actually weren't helping me. So that's the first thing I sort of recommend to people is like, if you want, <laughs> if you want to see how amazing your skin is and how little it actually needs products, just like take a month, take a month and I do nothing. That. Even, just, you know what, dabble in two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Try that first. I that's what cuz that's what I did and it changed the game for me. And then I I started like that really flipped my perspective of like solving problems with products 
Cause that had always been my go-to. If I noticed a problem with like my skin or my makeup, it would be like, what prop, what product can fix this? And it really shifted my perspective to be like, well, maybe the answer is taking away a product. So even with things like makeup, I would be like, I would put under eye concealer on and it would like cake in the creases under my eyes. Sure. Sure. Then, familiar, familiar like, with that experience. Um, you know, eyeliner underneath on the lower lash line and it would like bleed into it. And I was like, ah, how do I fix this? Like primers, sprays, whatever. And then I realized the solution to both is just to not use the concealer or the under eye <laughs> shadow. Cause when you take away the concealer, like the shadow is naturally there. <laughs> and that's happened to me like a million times with different like makeup issues that I would try to fix. The solution for me has always been like, just stop using one product or two products. And like the problem fixes itself. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I'm sure it won't be that way for everybody. Everyone has their own like beauty preferences and, and hangups. But for me, there's like no problem I've ever encountered since then that can't be solved by like removing a product from my life. Said nobody ever in the beauty industry except for <laughs> you. And that's why I love it so much because just to reiterate what you said earlier, it's entirely built on selling us something. Yes. And as an active participant, I it's important to hear that like maybe there's another way. There's totally another way. You can choose to take that way or you can choose to, you know, use products if that's what your your heart and soul is calling you to do. Like I don't ever think there's one way to fix a problem or one way to achieve like your goals for beauty, but I want people to know that like one of those solutions is to just divest completely. You yes. can do <laughs> that is on the table. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe, I don't know if we've all ever even considered that. Maybe, I don't know. I'm talking into the void, but. <laughs> I mean, I hadn't considered it until I was like 27. Yeah. I actually am so curious about your purchasing behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, as as a truth sayer in the space, there's a segment that we love here that's called Internet Made Me Do It. Internet made me buy it. Internet made me buy it. Has the internet enticed you to buy anything as of late? And what was it and why? I think the last thing that I bought from the internet was the entire line from Jones Road Beauty. It's like Bobby Brown's. Oh, yeah, that's right. Line. I was researching a story, like sort of taking down the five minute face. And like, it got me. I was like, well, actually this looks pretty good. <laughs> so I and got it. Like, I how still- was it? Because I'm really intrigued with the, um, whatever she's calling is her foundation. Uh, mm-hmm. I forgot what tinted it's Tinted moisturizer scenario, whatever that it's is. It's all really good. It's pretty much all I use now. Um, and it feels like, like for me, makeup was a big thing to let go of. Cause I used to put on like a full face, like including a Marilyn Monroe mole, drawn on with liquid eyeliner to like commitment toilet paper. It was a, it was a problem. <laughs> so like slowly working my makeup routine back to a place where I feel comfortable and I'm not like pushing myself to go bare faced yet, um, has been, has been a journey. And these products feel like a, a, a great transition phase. For oh, that's to, great. Like, Maybe I don't need makeup today. I've been so curious. I actually read an interesting tidbit about their marketing strategy is that Gary V convinced Bobby Brown to get on TikTok 
And that's really what drove the wow. craze of popularity. And she was, I think, like one of the, of like really hopped on early in the development of the brand release to make that all happen. That was oh, interesting. So, cool. so Gary V, <laughs> beauty influencer. Beauty entrepreneur. <laughs> um, okay, so you can co-sign on that. What other products are you vibing with or do you vibe with? I'd actually, I'm actually so curious as to like, what's in her bag? Yeah, pretty much nothing. I like, I'm not influenced by skincare marketing at all anymore. Like I can successfully resist all of it, which feels really good. Um, so when I do need skincare or want skincare, I wash my face with pure Monica honey from a company called Flora health. It's like food grade. So you can eat it or you can wash your face with it. It's, it's so just like healing and nourishing for the skin. Like Western hospitals usually keep it, um, in stock in the burn unit because it's so good for healing like damaged skin. Um, so Monica honey is my go-to. What? Um, I know it goes, there's different level numbers. Is it, mm-hmm. it's like a three letter thing. UMF. UMF. Is the one that's right. What and if you're using it for skin, you should get a UMF, uh, 15 or higher. Okay. And yeah. what does UMF stand for? Manuka factor? Manuka factor. Okay. So it's basically like testing like the DNA of the Monica. Interesting. Yeah, okay. It's so, so the honey for the face and you use it day and night? No, I'll, I'll use it like a couple of times a week. I usually just wash my face with like water if I have to at night or I'll, um, you know, oil cleanse with pure jojoba oil. That's like my go-to for everything. Jojoba oil is my oil cleanser, my moisturizer, like eye makeup remover, everything. Um, so I'll do, I'll do that if I have makeup on and then just splash with, with water or spritz with like rose water. Um, so yeah, Monica, jojoba and rose water are like, that's pretty much all I use. Amazing. Yeah. That's it's so she, easy. <laughs> she's easy. She's breezy. <laughs> um, oh, well, the oh. other thing that I bought recently was the Kosas, um, eyebrow, um, gel. Okay. Eyebrows are my one, my one big thing. Like I will spend a lot of money on makeup for my eyebrows. Okay. Um, and it's really good. I really enjoy it. Is it, it your fave? Would you say? It's my fave. I go between that. And then if I want like a pencil, I love the hourglass arch brow pencil. And it's that's like the one with the summer. slant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I love that one. That's great. Um, okay. I will say I bought the um, Makeup by Mario Brow Gel. I really love that one. I also like the Say Brow Butter. Mm-hmm. in the Like that is the best tinted. That's like the only tinted one I'll touch because otherwise there's like too much product on the thing. I'm not a boy brow girl. I think I don't no. like that <laughs> configuration at all. Speaking of marketing, <laughs> but yeah, I, so the brow thing. Okay. Do you, and where did you go for microblading? If you don't mind me asking, if we just can really get I, in. Yeah. I went to this, um, this woman in New York, Delphine brain, her, um, her studio is called Delphine Couture. She's from France and she does like a French couture technique on, on the eyebrows. It's like very, you like, you don't even know that they're tattooed. It looks they so look nice. incredible. I will say I can see them peeking out through your fringe <laughs> and it is, uh, they look, I mean, I can't tell. Yeah. No, she's beautiful and natural. Thanks. Um, wow. So the unpublishable, you can find it where? 
Um, it's on Substack, so you can just like you can Google the unpublishable, or you can go to jessicadefino.substack.com. Great, and it is such a good read, and you are all over the place. I know you just did an article with Vice. Um, tell us anything fun that's coming up. I'm working on my book. That's fun. It's taking a really long time. It turns out writing a book is very different than writing for the internet. Who knew? Amazing. <laughs> so I'm working on that and hopefully sometime next year that will be out. But yeah, that's, that's like my main, that's my main focus right now. That's beautiful. Um, I cannot wait to read it. I can't wait, <laughs> I can't to, wait to chat to when that comes back around. So I'm just going to end with this. As Jackie always says, you deserve to be happy. Yeah, I'm talking to you. And don't forget to cream your neck and keep your fringe fresh. (laughs) I love it. Do you cream your neck? I do not cream my neck. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) Can't get more on brand than that. Thank you so much, Jessica, for joining me. And guys, thank you so much for having me. This has been a dream. If you want to connect with me, I'm over at Elizabeth Cott. That's K-O-T-T on Instagram, where I love to share what's great, people's places, things that I think are cool, that are worthy knowing about. And um, if you want to maybe stay in touch and learn about some new projects I'm going to be announcing soon, you can head over to my website, elizabethcott.com, and join my mailing list. And um, I don't know about you, but I am going to go cream my neck and then probably deeply spiral and assess why. Thanks so much for listening. And Jackie, we miss you. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye.